Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. In chapter 46 of Isaiah, where we were last, we learned about God's dealing with and judgment against Babylon as well as Israel because of their problem with idolatry. It was said that worshiping something other than the Lord is a very messed up, disturbing, sinful thing. And so it's no wonder that it is totally, completely unacceptable in the sight of the Lord, the one who is the one and only living and true God. Long ago, really, really long ago, David looked up at the night sky and in awe wrote these words that are found in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When considering God's creation and the salvation that he has provided for all of us, it is, I believe, at the core of it all, inconceivable how anyone could put anything or anyone in front of and therefore deny the supremacy of the one true God. So then, while chapter 46 dealt with God's judgment against idolatry, Chapter 48, where we will be this morning, deals with a sharp rebuke, but also God's grace toward Israel, towards His people. We've just sang a great song about God's grace. How many of you are thankful for His grace? Yes. God does indeed have a plan to redeem all who are held in bondage, a bondage of any kind, if they will just trust and follow Him. This is the great liberating, exciting message of, of Isaiah chapter 48. God wants His people to know beyond a shadow of any doubt what we have in Him is infinitely greater than what we don't have in this life. I'm going to say that again. Not all of you are listening. I want you to hear this. What we have in Him is infinitely greater than what we don't have in this life. (laughs) In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has set eternity in the human heart. We will be forever dissatisfied until we come to know the only thing that can bear the weight of the eternity that has been placed within us, namely to know God and to live in fellowship with Him. Church, we were made to live in His presence. Yes? It should therefore be no surprise to us when we turn away from him, attempt to replace him, our lives will be marked with nothing but frustration and confusion because, you see, when God is all that you have, you then realize that he is all 
that you need. When you leave everything in God's hand, you'll eventually come to realize and see that God's hand is in everything. It's a good place to be. We serve a good, great God, don't we? And so chapter 48 shows us that God will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention. Has anyone here found that to be true? Anyone here experienced that? He will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention, to get us to turn to him in repentance and experience his love and his presence and his grace. So let's pick it up at verses 1 and 2. That's where we will begin, where we, first of all, are going to notice we're being shown here a rebuke that God's going to level out at His people. He says, listen to this. Listen. It's a good word, isn't it? Are you listening this morning? Here's what I want your listening to be like. You know how if you were, if you were maybe younger, you may not want to even dare do it now, dive into a swimming pool? But when you did, if you were to, you are completely submerged, aren't you? You see, this is what God's wanting from us this morning. He's wanting you to be completely submerged in Him with your ears, your heart, tuned to Him and listen to what He may have to say to you. I believe God has something He does want to say to every single one of us. Listen to this. You descendants of Jacob, some of you realize that when... God uses that term in referring to his people. He's not necessarily paying them a compliment <laughs> because of what the name means, okay? So listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name, God issues a serious rebuke against the people. Why? They were hypocritical and they were stubborn. Not just stubborn, but hypocritical. Not just hypocritical, but stubborn. Stubbornly hypocritical. Not a good place to be. Note the opening word, I've already kind of emphasized it, listen. The people had closed their ears to God's word and warnings, refusing to turn from their sins, refusing to turn from their idolatries of having other gods in their lives, refusing to come back to the Lord as the one true God. And although they professed to know the Lord, they were not living like it not obeying God's holy commandments. Instead, they were living deceitfully, becoming more and more hard-hearted in their resistance to God. I want to make sure you caught that part. In their resistance, and the longer they stayed in that resistance, they became harder and harder in their hearts. Their disobedience... And hypocrisy proved their disbelief. If they had truly believed him, that he was the one true God, they would have obeyed him. Within the depths 
of their hearts, they did not obviously sincerely believe or take God seriously. Their rejection of his commandments was irrefutable proof of their insincerity. To make matters worse, Isaiah foresaw that the Jewish people in captivity, once that took place and they found themselves in Babylon in captivity, would become comfortable and complacent in their captive state. Please hear that and what that would mean to us. The mo that most of them would, would not return when given the opportunity to go back to where they came from, back to their homeland, back to Israel, back to the promised land. Over the 70 years of their exile, the people would become settled, having made their homes in a foreign land. So when they had the opportunity to return to Jerusalem, a vast majority of them would, would choose not to go. We saw that back when we went through the book of Daniel. Why? Because most at that point would have been born and reared in Babylon. Consequently, few would have the faith or the desire or willingness to give up their lifestyles. And that which had become commonplace for them in Babylon, a godless nation, mind you. They chose this over the promises of God and in the promised land. Hard to imagine, isn't it? But aren't we guilty oftentimes of doing the very same thing? Choosing our will, our desires, allowing those things that we've allowed to become idols in our own lives and in our own hearts, choosing them over and against the promises of God and living, as it were, in the promised land, in His presence. People today, like them, choose the things of this world, the pleasures of their own self-centeredness over and against God, as I've said, and His promises. And like Israel, the longer we stay in it, the harder our hearts become. That's tragic, church. Tragic. Look at verse 3 now with me. He says, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. That will be our way of saying that pretty thick-headed. <laughs> Verse 5, Therefore I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, My images brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. Again, referring to their false idols. Verse 6, you have heard these sayings. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? Stated simply, their words, actions, and behavior did not back up their claims. 
You call yourself Israel and claim to be living in the holy city of God, God says, but your head is hard. Your neck is stiff. God says these people carry the name Israel, which means governed by God. But in reality, they weren't living that way at all. So too, lots of people today carry the name Christian. But sad to say, scarcely resemble the person of Jesus Christ. And our actions, behaviors, and words, and attitudes. Despite all that he had done for them, down through the centuries, God's people had continued to be ungrateful, unbelieving, a bunch of hard-headed people. In times past, the Lord had foretold a number of phenomenal events pertaining to the Jewish people and their future, and He had acted to fulfill those events. Never once has God given or made a promise that He did not keep or make. Amen? And he acted to fulfill those things, bringing blessing after blessing after blessing upon them. Things such as Abraham's call and the promises that were given to him, the amazing deliverance from Egyptian bondage, the establishment of Israel as a nation when the law was given to them at Mount Sinai, the conquest of Canaan, the promised land, all things that God had told them about that he had done. Note God's purpose for predicting these events and letting them in on it and working to bring them about in verse 5. So his people could not claim that their idols are the ones who deliver them, that it was their false gods who had helped them. No, no, no. Not even close. Note also God's charge to Israel in verse 6. They must hear, they must see, and they must confess the Lord is the only true God. However, look at the rest of verse 6 with me. It says, from now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say, yeah, I knew them. You have neither heard nor understood from of old your ears have not been open well do i know how treacherous you are that word treacherous can also be translated as traitor well do i know what a traitor you are how treacherous you are you were called a rebel from birth Referring back to the name Jacob there. The Israelites had shut their eyes to the prophecies given and to their fulfillment, exposing their stubborn hearts, their stiff necks. Yet the Lord declared that he would, not, uh, that he would now reveal new things to Isaiah's generation, events that had formerly not been made known. These events had been deliberately hidden to prevent the people from claiming that they knew all about them beforehand. These new prophecies predicted 
by Isaiah included such future matters as, and we've already been mentioning them and through our study in Isaiah, the raising up of Cyrus, it gets mentioned here again in verse 14, the fall of Babylon and Israel's restoration and the end of captivity in verses 20 and 21, the coming suffering and atoning death of the Messiah, which he will address in Isaiah chapter 52, the new covenant of salvation he addresses in chapter 65, the messianic age and the creation of a new heaven and new earth, the eternal perfect kingdom, also in chapter 65. The Lord revealed these events to his people for one purpose and one purpose only, to prove that he alone is the Lord of the universe, the only living, sovereign, true God. He alone, none other. He alone is to be worshipped, not the idols or false gods worshipped by the majority of the people of the time, and perhaps even still to this day. Sadly, the same thing happens today when God's prophecies are so clearly spelled out for us in His Word. So clearly spelled out. Why do so many people continue to shut their ears to the Lord, close their eyes to His Word? God answers this question Himself, actually. And His answer exposes a really, really tragic fact. People who refuse to see the fulfillment of God's prophecies are blind, deliberately blind, by their own choosing, in other words. Therefore, bringing doom and destruction upon themselves. People reject God and His prophetic word because, as God tells us here, they, they're treacherous, they're traitors, rebels from birth. I want you to hear verse 8 from the message. It goes like this. You've never been good listeners to me. You have a history of ignoring me. A sorry track record of fickle attachments. Rebels from the womb. Oh, but then we, we come to verse 9. Grace enters the room. Look at verse 9 with me now. From, for my own name's sake... I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, he puts emphasis on that. I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God revealed a wonderful truth to his people. Dis despite their stubbornness and their hypocrisy, he was patient and not willing that any should perish. How many are you thankful for that? With a heart full of love, full of compassion for his people, we find that he is a God who has grieved, been patiently grieving for a long, long time with their insincere 
and stubborn and sinful behavior. He, he delayed his wrath, he tells us, longing for them to turn and repent and come back to him with their whole hearts. God is saying, I delayed my wrath toward my people for my name's sake. I wanted to refine you in the furnace of affliction, but I want you to hear this. This is what God is saying. I did that so that I could find something real and pure, so that I could find silver. But he says, but when I did that, I found no silver in their lives. That's tragic, church. What a tragic indictment for God to level at his people. He is basically saying you wouldn't let the fiery furnace, the hard trials, purify you. Therefore, no silver, no transformation, no purity, no anything, no godliness was ever found. Sometimes we wonder why we face one affliction after the another. Could it be it's because we're not learning our lessons? Could it be that we're so stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-headed as to continually take us through the afflictions because we won't learn? Because we continue to close our ears and close our eyes and close our heart to God and what He's wanting to do and say in our lives. Church, our trials are never random. Our pain is never arbitrary. We are refined by God for the glory of God so that he would indeed find silver, something real and godly and pure within our lives. Has the Lord been speaking to you about some issue lately? Is there something the Lord has told you that needs to be changed, but instead you have persistently said, Hey, not now, maybe later. Other things are more important to me right now. What could be more important, church? What could be more important? We all go through fiery trials, and some of them are absolutely mandated. We understand this. But as we watch the people of Israel, we see that other trials are definitely the result of our own stubbornness concerning lessons that God wants to teach us. With regards to the second half of verse 11, please be assured this isn't displaying God on some kind of ego trip. As the creator of heaven and earth, church, the Lord is by his very nature the most magnificent being who has ever existed or who will ever exist. Can you say amen? amen. God's glory is so radiant and so powerful, so full of splendor that we are told in God's word that in the new Jerusalem there will be no need for sunlight. <laughs> the magnificence of God's glory and being shines so brightly that it will provide the light that will be needed in the capital city that we will one day inhabit. Hallelujah. Listen to this glory being described for us from the book of Revelation. First from chapter 1, verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining. 
in all of its brilliance. Are you trying to imagine that? Verse uh, chapter 21, verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And then check this out. And the Lamb is its lamp. Verse 12. Listen to me, Jacob. Oh, there goes God again. <laughs> Israel, whom I have called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. That's God saying, show me an idol that can say that. And when I summon whatever I've created, it's like at the snap of a finger, they say, yes, sir, and they are there standing in attention, so to speak. Linking both the names Jacob and Israel together it's as if the lord is saying to his people saying to us i know what and who you are in the flesh i know oh but here's the grace part church but i see your potential as israel It would be good, I think, for us to quickly revisit something that occurred back in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob's name, as most of you by now are familiar with and know, means deceiver, trickster, conniver. And you also mostly know that that fit Jacob really well, didn't it? But one night, seeing no way out of his circumstances... He wrestled all night with an angel of the Lord, saying to that angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. In the morning, it is the Lord who says, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer trickster, deceiver, conniver. But now you are Israel, meaning you'll no longer rely on your schemes and your tricks, but by clinging and leaning on me, meaning you will now live a life governed by God. Oh, how our desire, oh, how our desire and prayer need to be, to want to be, more Israel-like and less Jacob-like. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. Would you also agree, oh, how much Jacob is in us? <laughs> we rely upon our own abilities, upon our personalities, our own plans and principles, but like Jacob, we need to come to the end of ourselves and cry out to our God with the resolve that will be everlasting from our hearts. Lord, you govern 
me. Amen? Lord, you govern me. God himself is the guarantee of this redemption. The assurance that his people will indeed be rescued from their captivity. And notice that it is based upon who the Lord is. Not based on whether they deserved it or not. It's just strictly, simply, graciously based on who God is. I am he, he says. Means that the Lord alone is God. He is the first and the last, he tells us, signifying that God is sovereign and that he is eternal, spanning all of time. So then as the creator of heaven and earth, delivering, redeeming, and restoring his people, not a big deal. He can do it. He's got his church. We can trust him. We can trust him. Verse 14. Come together, all of you, and listen. There's that word again. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. Verse 16, come near me, and for a third time, listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. In giving the promise of redemption, the Lord had made four statements that really need to be, must be understood by the listener, by the reader, by the follower of Christ. First, it was his knowledge, not in idols, that had foretold the coming and redemption of God's people. We see that in verse 14. And then, we, secondly, we see God's power alone would raise up a person to execute justice and judgment against Babylon. We see that in the second part of verse 14. Thirdly, God's word guaranteed this prophecy, verse 15. Fourthly, God's promise must be heeded by all hearers and readers of this prophecy. The Lord had never spoken in secret, but rather openly and clearly. The immediate reference in verses 14 and 15 would have been to Cyrus, the one who God would raise up, and the Medes and Persians to come take out Babylon, which would also God would use to release the captives back to Israel. But the ultimate fulfillment, and this is where it comes in a huge blessing to us, the ultimate fulfillment of this would be Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Verse 17, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. Oh, that we would just believe that, huh, church? <laughs> who directs you in the way that you should go. God's letting us know here that from the days of the Garden of Eden until the present, Satan's greatest lie has always been that God is out to condemn 
and restrict mankind, that he's out to be the world's greatest party pooper, that he isn't really for us and that somehow he, he's out to get us. And here we see actually the truth, the truth, that he leads us, he teaches us, we read here, so that we would live the kind of life that Jesus promised us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, one of the many places we find it, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, to have it abundantly. The question is at this point, church, will we listen to his voice? Will we trust and will we obey? In case you've not ever noticed the word listen contains the very same six letters that you will find in the word silent. Exact same. Interesting, don't you think? It was John Wayne who said, don't be short on ears and long on mouth. <laughs> Raquel Welch once said, you can't fake listening, it shows. And the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 5.11 says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> the term translated dull of hearing is the word for ignorant in the Greek, folks. But the ignorance spoken of is not due to having never ever having being given the privilege or opportunity of hearing. It's just the fact that it has been ignored intentionally. The ignorance spoken of is the result of ignoring. In other words, when truth was shared, the response was something along the lines of, maybe not these exact words, but the attitude would line up. Big deal. I don't care what you say. I have my own perspective. There are those who say, I'm just not getting anything out of Bible study. I go to church, but nothing registers with me. I read the Bible, but it just seems to be going in one ear and out the other. Why? It could be because they are those who are dull of hearing. <laughs> Simply because God spoke to them a week ago, a month ago, a year ago concerning something that they were to do. But they ignored it. Why then would God keep speaking to them if they refuse to do those things he's already given to them to do? Things that he's already made clear to them to obey and do. Church, it is a loving father who says to us, I'm going to make it real, real simple for you. When you do step one, I will take you to the second step. When you do what I ask, when you incorporate what I show you, then I'll take you further on down the road in walking with me. But I'm not going to keep on heaping instruction and insight upon you if you're only going to ignore what I've already given to you, what I've already said to you. And so...
dear follower of Christ. What's the last thing that God told you to do? Have you done it? Dear Lord Jesus, I do pray that everyone in this room this morning has listened to your words. That they have not tuned out your voice, nor the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That would be tragic. You give us all of these things that we dis discuss and study and talk about in your word, God, so that we would know. So that we would, could see example, good example, bad example. So that we could change and make the adjustments in our lives that are needed and necessary. Those very things that you revealed to us to do. We have seen time and time again in our study of Isaiah of the the disaster that comes when we allow idols to replace you and remove you and bump you off the throne of our hearts. And God, I pray that today we would take you seriously, perhaps more than ever, to do business with you, God, to get busy in taking care of that which you are revealing to us that needs to be taken care of, to clear things out, to make room for you, to allow you to come back and be on the throne of our lives and our hearts so that it's just you and you only, Lord, reigning and ruling in our lives. May this be our prayer. May this be the desire of our hearts, Lord, to love you more and this world less, to have a hunger and thirst for you like we've never had before. I pray, God, that you bring this home to our hearts. So it's your name we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up